This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Affairs, Ted McKinney. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney, next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. The National Crop Insurance Services provide individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. In a restructured U.S. Department of Agriculture, President Donald Trump nominated and the Senate confirmed former Indiana Director of Agriculture Ted McKinney to lead efforts toward global agriculture trade and foreign affairs. On the sidelines of the American Farm Bureau Convention in Nashville earlier this month, McKinney said he's well aware of his new responsibility. Well, I think I can answer that succinctly uh, using Secretary Purdue's own words. And you could also roll in members of Congress when they conceived of this singularly focused role in the 2014 Farm Bill. And that is, we have someone who can and is getting up every day and thinking of nothing but trade and foreign ag affairs. And that way we have a singular focus from within USDA on that. Uh, for those that don't know how it was previously, uh, my predecessors, fantastic people uh, in this role, had both domestic farm programs and foreign trade and foreign affairs uh, uh, in their portfolios. My gosh, I don't know how they did it. So I'm thrilled. I'm looking at this just as Secretary Purdue said. I have a singular focus, and I'm grateful that I can stay very focused on that. I also think we're now more nimble. I mean... 30,000 miles in the first 30 days says something about being nimble. Uh, we've been to six countries since I was confirmed on October 13, and we'll soon be to many, many more. Uh, so, uh, so that. I'll conclude by saying I, there's a bit of a no-stone-unturned strategy on my part. I've always believed, and I've practiced this in my private sector and my State Department of Ag days, that more than half the battle of winning is simply showing up. That's when you can build trust. That's when you can hear when there's problems that another country has with us, and we in turn with them. And this is how you get that solved, because it's based on trust and relationships and not from letters or tweets or anything else from abroad. And in that regard, I'm thrilled because of all these trips. I've made friends. We've begun already to work on issues that I didn't know existed that I would not have known without the travel. So those are a few thoughts on how I'm looking at this job. Still, the administration has a number of departments and individuals that are focused on trade. You yourself have mentioned Commerce Department's involved, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office involved. If Greg Dowd is confirmed or if there is a chief ag negotiator for USTR, they're all on the same team. But how do the job descriptions vary, and do you work together? 
Well, the answer is we better be, and I think we do. Uh, Now, these vary by personalities and so forth, but let me just take Greg Dowd. God love us, I hope we can get Greg confirmed because he's a longtime friend. He's an outstanding choice, and we've already met to say how we're going to work together, and it's going to be collegially, it's going to be frank, but but we're going to keep each other fully informed. And as time goes on, and as I have some time in D.C., <laughs> it's infrequent these days, we're doing the same with commerce and other agencies that have trade. So Congress and the U.S. government is set up with different people having different responsibilities. USTR is the lead on trade negotiations. After those negotiations are in place, a lot of that stays with them. A lot of it comes to us. So it's a shared responsibility. I'll close on that by saying what I really hope works well, and this is where Greg, I think, is going to add a lot, is there is an interagency process that exists where trade, USTR mean, USDA, Commerce, and others come together to jointly solve issues. And that's what we want to see lifted up uh, even more than it is today. Only a couple of thoughts here before we move to bigger issues. Agriculture was concerned when the new administration pulled out of TPP. And now there's consternation about the president's threats to withdraw from NAFTA, threats maybe even to withdraw from CORUS. So instead of directing you and others to find new trade agreements, we're concentrating on redoing older agreements. Well, it is what it is, and and I don't I don't fault the president because if you took the holistic view that he has to, I get the joy of looking selfishly and singularly focused on food and ag. The president's looking holistically, and there are parts of NAFTA, using your example, that were not good for the American public. So, we, representing ag, as I lovingly say, sometimes we whisper in people's ears about the value and the importance of NAFTA to food and ag. Sometimes we have the megaphone on loud, turned up high. I mean, I say that kiddingly, but the point is, we're very vocal that we cannot and should not just blow up NAFTA and that there are ways forward. And we're offering up some of those kinds of suggestions, but we're not the only ones that get to play in that game. I'm hopeful, uh, and I'm hopeful because the three countries do rely on each other and do get along well. In my session today, I, uh, I started and I ended by saying I love my Canadian friends. I'll say the same about Mexico. But that doesn't mean, as friends, that you don't have disagreements you've got to resolve at times. And we have one now, uh, particularly as we look north to Canada, with this whole dairy policy issue. We need to have some fixes there. And we've tabled, meaning we've put forward our offers. USTR has, not me. Let's just hope that we can get a response sooner than later. The deadline has been moved from the end of 17 now to the end of March. If there's going to be an agreement by the end of March, how much more time do the other countries have to respond to what the U.S. has put on the table? Well, you used the the, the, the month of March uh, uh, as well. I would say not very much time if we want to come forward with a a complete trilateral, all three of us coming together. And for those that are listening that don't know, March, I think, is when the um, uh, Mexican election season begins, and it just becomes very difficult. That's why I think March was offered up. 
You know what I know. Uh, March is that date. I'm hopeful that we'll have that resolution. And that's why both in the session and in a bilateral with my Canadian friends today, I said it might be time right now to step forward. You know, if the tough negotiations are held to the end, seems like we're getting pretty close to that. Is the dairy issue enough to walk away? I'm not the one that answers that question. That's got to be a USTR answer. I will say this, though. Every dairy organization known to man and woman alike has either been through my office, written, or called. And it was particularly this Class 7 uh, initiative up there that sent our dairy industry over the edge. And I understand. Uh, I know some farmers themselves, certainly some co-ops, have been damaged significantly by this latest action. Now, whether that was a pure industry play without government involvement or not, it just highlighted the entire supply management system and all the machinations that go with that as something that's got to be addressed. My attention or my thoughts come from other analysts who have looked at deals, suggesting that Canada now is subject to respond to what the U.S. has put on the table in the NAFTA renegotiation. Canada is also a key player in whether the 11 that remain in the TPP is going to advance. So Canada is playing two negotiations at once. How did pulling from TPP complicate or simplify this arrangement of renegotiation? Well, I hadn't thought much about that. I think we all get the opportunity to walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, you know, we, we're never blessed with just having one issue that we get to focus solely on. Now, when you get something like NAFTA, or since you've raised the Canadian issue, uh, the TPP, uh, they've got to find the resources to do both of those at the same time. Uh, we're, we're no different. I mean, we're not able to move forward a lot of things because there's a lot of uh, examination of how's NAFTA going to come out before perhaps we can move forward with other bilaterals. That's okay. That's life. Mm-hmm. We just have to get it done as best we can and finish point one and then move on to point two, and I think that we'll do that. The recent information that has come from China and their challenge of our FM of soybean shipments there and the systems approach that has been agreed to to be implemented in 2018. Mm-hmm. Is that a sign of the times or an example of global surplus? That is an outstanding question and I don't know the answer uh, except to say that China is a very important customer particularly for soybeans which is the crop that is in question and uh, I admire how industry and my very good friends with APHIS, part of the risk uh, or the uh, marketing and regulatory programs area led by my good friend Greg Eibach, I admire how they came together and fairly swiftly, I think, are beginning uh, to address this. So I'll just leave it to them that stuff comes up, things change, we can speculate for, for the next few days on what's behind that. But it was raised, it's been, seemingly, it's been addressed, and uh, I'm thrilled. Can you help us find another China? When we look at what the relationship with China and their demand for soy has meant to the U.S. producer, are there other Chinas out there? Are there other golden opportunities that the U.S. could capture and grow with? 
Um, I don't know if there's another China, just because it is such an enormous market. But I'll pick your words, golden opportunities, and I think the answer is yes. In some cases, singularly, but certainly in toto. Let me give an example. Uh, my first trade mission was to India. Very difficult place to do business. Oh, and it will be for a few years to come. Maybe longer than we'd like, but we must engage. I liken it to when President Nixon went to China and the years it took for China to open up to the point we're at now and the trade that we enjoy. I'm a, a history uh, buff on World War II. Look where Germany and Japan were after the war. And frankly, countless other countries. The Marshall Plan plus the sheer will of those countries and their people have lifted those countries up to be outstanding trading partners. We can and must do that with others. And I think India is one we've got to invest in. You go further, not huge countries, but very important countries. Vietnam, Malaysia, the Philippines, uh, Taiwan is a strong partner. We've got to keep Korea, Japan, North America, you know, Canada, Mexico. We've got to keep that going. We're going to make a trade mission to Guatemala. My gosh, what a wonderful story that is. So back to this more than half the battle of winning the battle is showing up. We're going to show up. And maybe it's a collection of all these that equals China, going back to your analogy. You might understand why the Japanese would be a bit miffed at the U.S. in our pulling from the TPP. But Japan is clearly a country that is key to U.S. agriculture. Do you sense a willingness at some point to come to a bilateral? I hope so. I had a wonderful but brief chat with a, a colleague uh, who's from the Japanese embassy in Washington, and I've come to know him over the, the past two months. I hope so. I understand why they're continuing the discussions with TPP 10 or 11, whichever it is these days. But they know because the president has offered, the vice president has offered, Secretary Purdue has offered, and I'm just the echo chamber here that says, Japan, we want to do a free trade agreement. And you've done that with other countries. Let's see if we can't do that. So maybe it'll take just a little bit of time, but I'm hopeful. I don't know, but I'm hopeful that we can get there. We're also set on the president's agenda for 2018, an infrastructure bill. Yes. It's one thing to have a customer. It's another to deliver the product. Yes. How important is the infrastructure effort by the administration to fulfill the work that you and others are doing? Oh, long pause. Critical. Exclamation point. It is so important. Uh, I'll just give you my own story. Uh, when I was the director of the State Department of Ag in Indiana, there wasn't a single day that I wasn't worried about Lock and Dam 52 on the Ohio River. And it's sort of the poster child, it seems, on is are we going to make it or not until we get repairs. Um, it is our differential advantage when it comes to so much of trade, certainly from the upper Mississippi Valley and Lock and Dam 52 is on the Ohio. You can pick one on the Missouri or on up uh, the Mississippi, and the story is the same. So certainly I, I think Secretary Purdue made that statement uh, when he visited the ports in Cincinnati, that we must get infrastructure right. And I'm hoping locks and dams are the start. Now, there's some roads and bridges in rural Americana that also need some help, some broadband that would be very helpful. But, boy, right now, I'll start with locks and dams on the rivers. 
30,000 miles in 30 days is a good start to Secretary Purdue's goal for you traveling a million miles. And on that journey, thanks for taking time with us here on Open Mic. It's Open Mic. You listen to the program and you know the last word is yours. Well, I'm just grateful to AgriPulse. I've been a long admirer, and I uh, am just grateful. I'm a long listener of uh, these, so thrilled that I finally can be in the ranks of uh, those with whom you've interviewed. Uh, I just ask for people's hopes and prayers, because I'm a believer in the divine, and I hope that... uh, Uh, I hope that that will lead us to positive things because the U.S. farmer and rancher has an incredible product, uh, a volume of that product, and it's a great quality, and maybe, just maybe, that'll win the day in these trade battles. Our thanks to USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly. 